0: Progressive Radio News Hour with Stephen Ledman, Thursdays at 11 a.m. and weekends at 1 p.m. on the Progressive Radio Network. Radio News Hour. I'm Steve Ledman. Oh, it's always a special program when Ellen Brown is on. We'll talk about all issues, financial, and a uh, uh, Ellen's newest article. It's about Helicopter Ben. Well, if you don't know who a Helicopter Ben is, I'll let Ellen tell you. Oh, we all should know who a Helicopter Ben is. But uh, Ellen, of course, is a civil litigation attorney. She's an author. She is one of the best writers on financial issues I know. When Ellen comes out with a new article, it is absolutely must-reading. It is terrific, and she also has an important book. I say it all the time, and it's out in a brand-new edition. If you haven't gotten it yet and you haven't read Ellen's book, Web of Debt, then you just don't know how the system works and what we need to do to fix it. Ellen, I say it all the time. I mean, th- when I read your book, it just it was recommended to me. And, and I read the book and I said, my goodness, they understated how important this book is. It really is a blockbuster. If, uh, if, 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 if the, the major sources promoted this book, Ellen, the way they promote trash, you'd have rocketed to the top of the bestseller list.
1: Oh, thanks, Stephen. <clears throat> I love your introduction. Oh, well, I, I just said you make a,
0: it so easy for me.
1: <laughs> I, just saw, I just saw a little uh, clip on, there were video clips on how to put on eye makeup, and this woman had gotten <laughs> 5 million hits on her YouTube video in a month on, on eye makeup. So, I mean, that's what we need to put in, is little, a little uh Bring it down to earth, you know what what can you do with it? Well, my latest thing is uh well, I think you talked about it on your last show, but the sixty two million um mortgages that may not be foreclosable because of recent case law i mean that that's the type of thing that grabs people. Where they can do something about it. I'm afraid this, uh, this one I wrote about helicopter van, I got a lot of objections that they didn't know what I was talking about. It, it gets it was... a
0: little complicated, I must say. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was waiting, I was waiting for the punchline where I mean, you go, I, I, the information you provide is really important and, uh, I write a little bit about this. You write about it all the time. So I devour it all. But anybody who doesn't understand any of this stuff, and that means most everybody, Ellen, as you know, they go through all this complicated stuff uh, through most of the article, and then they get, they get down to the end where you really get into the meat of, of what, what we need to do. I, I mean, Ben can fix this problem. He just won't do it. But, but you explain it. Can I read you one thing before you get into this? Yeah. I got a New York Times alert this morning. And it says this, got it, oh, about half an hour ago or so. Uh, the details are coming later, but, uh, oh, the headline says, uh, World Bank backs rules to avert banking crises. <laughs> oh, well, you know, round what? Round, round five, round ten, round, round fifteen? <laughs> all
2: uh-huh. the, all yeah. the
0: new rules are going to come out with. But, but it says this, uh, apparently, uh, the major central bank is, uh, a Bernanke, to bin. <laughs> Uh, 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 Trichet and uh, whoever else was at this meeting, uh, in, uh, in uh, Basel, Switzerland, with the, where, where the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh International Bank of, uh, Settlements, the Central Bank of Central Bankers is based, and they came up with some kind of a system that we, we don't know the details of yet, but it says, if ratified by the G20, if ratified by the G20, if ratified by, uh, maybe the G1 or 2 or 3, what do the G20 have to say about it, anyway? If the rules are ratified, known as Basel III, it will require banks to bolster the amount of low-risk assets they hold in reserve as a cushion against market shocks. Now, I think they're talking about when things are more stable, rather than now. I kind of imagine they're going to raise reserves now, but mm-hmm. then it just says uh, it says it, it would well, make well, it's not it.
1: reserves; it's capital, which is harder, harder to raise. It-
0: Oh, oh, absolutely. Well, anyway, it that the details are coming later, I can't imagine there's going to be anything good for world economies out of this. It may be good for bankers, Ellen. It certainly will not be good for, for the average person on the street, the average working person. I
1: don't, it's not going to be good for the local banks at all. Um, I know a banker in Missouri who said that his bank has not made a loan for two years because oh. they, they can't because, because of their capital situation. Um, all the properties have lost value, which means when they were leveraging, like if you had a $100,000 property, you you could leverage it to a million dollars in loans. And then all of a sudden now, if that $100,000 property goes into default and you have to sell it, you can only get $10,000 for it. So now you've only you've only got the potential for a hundred thousand dollars in loans instead of a million dollars in loans. So their whole cap, their whole um, potential for credit has collapsed. So they have to wait for those old loans to get paid off before they even have any money to make any new loans. So now they're going to put an even higher capital requirement on the banks. Well, this is not going to hurt Wall Street at all because they're the ones that are rolling in it. But the 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 community banks, the ones that are actually making the the real estate loans and lending to small businesses, they are going to be crippled, which means they'll go bankrupt. The big Wall Street banks will buy them up, which is what they've been doing anyway, and um, we'll probably all be forced into some sort of global system where we wind up borrowing special drawing rights or something because the dollar gets so defamed and devalued.
0: You know, so. I, I brought, I, I took a look at an old article that I wrote, Ellen. It was, uh, uh, I believe, last uh, last April. So uh, April before that, April 2009. And in it, I quoted an article that you wrote. Was my article in April? Well, I quoted an article you wrote in April 2009. Maybe mine was some weeks after that. I don't, the date is up top. I'm looking at yours, and your article is titled "The Tower of Basil, of Basil." Do we really want the Bank for International Settlements issuing our global currency? Uh, well, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> global currency uh, giving Wall Street more power than it already has, which is exactly what Obama's so-called financial reform did. It did not help local community banks. It helped the big ones. That's what today.
1: financial Showing reform helped the big guys.
0: Banks. Mm-hmm. and hurt the little guys. Yeah.
1: Well, and I here's what I'm writing on now. I'm not, I know I'm avoiding the issue of the helicopter ban, but um, what I'm writing on now, this all stemmed from the 62 million mortgages, that um, the real collapse in the fall of 2008 was in the shadow banking system, which was a $14 trillion banking system versus the $12 trillion system that we normally think of as banks Um, The problem is the the regular banks were over-regulated, basically, and they couldn't make any money. So so they branched out into the shadow banking system where they could make money. And the big institutional investors in the last 30 years, tons, huge amounts of money have gone into these funds. So instead of tiny investors who are all covered by the $250,000 FDIC insurance for their deposits, Instead of small investors, you suddenly have these huge investors collectively, like pension funds, mutual funds, hedge funds, et cetera. So they're doing all the investing, and they're not covered by FDIC insurance because the limits are just way too low. So they wanted something more secure, so they all get onto this re- repo market, which is mortgage-backed securities, bundled up, chopped into pieces, backing uh, repos are where the, the investor – buys this um unit of mortgage backed securities overnight like one day and then then they roll it over then they sell it back the next day so you keep turn you can keep turning that over for a long time but because it's only a one day purchase and sale its repo means repurchase um they can get their money out immediately so it's just like a deposit account it's a one day thing where you can pull your money right out well the trouble was your your funding that, that money is what Wall Street is then using to fund their investments and their loans and so forth, which are long-term things. So so you're back to the short-term money funding long-term loans, the same problem that you had in It's a Wonderful Life uh, you know, in the 1930s and when the savings and loans collapsed where they, they had these 30-year mortgages out at 5%, and then all of a sudden um, uh, Paul Volcker raised the interest rate to 20%. And so they're getting short-term money at 20% to cover their long-term loans at 5%. So the basic flaw in the system is that the banks don't really have the money. They're always borrowing the money to cover their loans that are already out there. They make the loan first, and then they scramble around to find the money. So anyway, that shadow banking system collapsed when the investors figured out that all those mortgage-backed securities that had been sold to them as AAA, good as, you know, good as... Um, good as federal debt or whatever, you know, perfectly good investment was could actually that they were full of all the sub- subprime stuff, and that, that much of it couldn't be collected on. So when they when they realized that, well, it was of course when Lehman Brothers collapsed, but Lehman Brothers was counterparty on it was heavily into this whole repo market thing. So that's something that most people don't even know about it, but that is the the fatal flaw in our current banking system that that it's all borrowed money that it's it's lent first and then borrowed later to cover it that well here's what i'm going to write about ultimately this is what it, my theory that there, the solution to all this is that we have a misconception about money in other words we think money is something you have to dig out of the ground First, or that you have to have first before you can lend, but that's not really what credit is. all of our money is credit that's all it is. There's nothing but debt in the system right now. All money is created as a debt by a private bank, except for coins which are one ten thousandth of the money supply. They're almost nothing plus you don't, they don't create new coins; they just keep when some of them wear out they add some new ones, but they don't they don't add to the money supply with coins, so you need an expandable money supply you need credit. Um, but we think that credit is something that you have to borrow from somebody that already has it, and that's where we get into trouble. Really, credit should just be the full faith and credit of the United States. It's really just an advance against your own promise to repay. So you're really just going to the great ATM machine in the sky and taking out an advance. You're monetizing your own promise to repay. You're turning your promise into money, and that's what credit is. Anyway, you can make the system work if it was a fully public system merely acknowledging that all our money is merely a series of legal agreements and we're just overseeing this system of agreements it, there's no should be no shortage of credit every Well, I may be getting off point here, but um, I was just reading in a banking textbook. Somebody pointed me to this insider's textbook. It's what bankers use, what bankers learn how to be bankers from. And it said right in there, it said, banks early on discovered that it was bad business practice to turn people away because you didn't have the money. Like if they came to take out a loan, you didn't want to say, well, we don't have enough deposits to cover your loan, so you're going to have to go to the bank down the street because you would lose that customer and the neighbors and so forth. So so they always, any credit-worthy borrower that would walk in the door, they'd give them a loan. And then they'd scramble around and try to find the, the money so that the checks would clear. Um, but th- that's the way it should be. You should be able to, any credit-worthy borrower should be able to get a loan, and that's actually what's made this country great, is the ability to get credit. You don't have to have a rich daddy. You can get credit. But the flaw is that they think it has to be backed by something in this shell game, and that there are all these strictures put on the backing and where you get the backing and how much backing you have to have. And in that way, the big boys manage to regulate the system and squeeze the little players out.
0: In a healthy economy, Ellen, it, it, everything works just fine. And uh, the, my personal experience, the experience of so many millions of others in the country during uh, healthy times, I twice in my life I've had a, a home mortgage. I say twice because my present one was paid off years ago, gotten uh, so long ago. I convention, that there was no subprime, or if there was, I didn't know about it and wouldn't have gone anywhere near it. Back in 1973, when I got my last one, I just got a conventional uh, 29-year mortgage, and it was a piece of cake. I just uh, went to a bank that, uh, uh, it's so long ago, I don't remember why I chose that bank, but I went to a particular bank and sat down with a a gentleman inside and explained I wanted to take out a mortgage, fill out all the papers, uh, presto, it was all done, no muss, no fuss, I got my mortgage. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. and And it it worked the same way the first time it stayed with the same lender probably the whole time oh
0: absolutely there was none of this uh, uh, stuff that they do now they slice and dice it and whoever you get your mortgage from well that mortgage just gets carved up in all kinds of pieces combined with all these other mortgages creating uh, these mortgage-backed securities and so on and if you go to find your mortgage lender uh, well, you may need to you may may need to make an awful lot of house calls.
1: Mm-hmm. And the reason they do that is that they have to do it in, in our existing banking system. First of all, they needed some sort of security for these great big institutional investors. They were providing a service that was needed, and the security was. Mortgages. So if you have this repo and you pay the money to the special purpose vehicle, which serves as the shadow banker, and now you've got this mortgage-backed security in hand, well, if the special purpose vehicle goes bankrupt or for some reason you can't get your money back, you've got that security, supposedly, that you could then foreclose on and you'd get your money back. Um, and I lost my train of thought. Um, Oh, so in order to in order to facilitate all that, they had to do this electronic registration system, which was MERS, a mortgage electronic registration system. because otherwise, according to the law, you would have to record every single day that, that, that all those pieces of real estate changed hands. plus you can't even tell which real estate piece of real estate ch- changed hands, because you might own a thousand shares in this bundle. well, that means you of you know millions of whatever shares units. so or, or let's say you might own ten percent of all the houses in that bundle. So and you might be one of many shareholders. So you've got many people owning many houses and the whole thing's always changing hands. There's no way you could do it and comply with the court recording laws or the recording statutes, but those recording statutes are there for a purpose. They're there to establish title to real estate and what liens are on it and so you can find out who who holds your mortgage or, you know, who you will owe money to in order to get clear title, et cetera. So they've messed up the whole system, put us back into a feudal situation.
0: Indeed they did, Ellen. Let me do this. Let me set the table for you to begin explaining what Helicopter Ben has been doing and then explain what he should be doing. And I'll set the table by just reviewing some of what I, I mentioned on air on the Thursday program when I had Bob Chapman on, and he's a former longtime uh, financial industry insider. Way back, he had his own Wall Street firm. He's been in the business for over 40 years. Now he puts out a, a – he calls it the international forecaster. He puts it out twice a week. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a paid service, but it is is—it is just crammed with all kinds of information. Yeah. I, I don't know how he gets so much uh, in, in, into a newsletter, and he does it twice a week. My God, I mean, there's it, just so darn much in it. But there's no question, in simple language that listeners can understand, the economy is a mess And this really was the title of uh, my last article that uh, I shot you a copy of. Recovery,
1: what recovery? Yeah, I said uh, Mm -hmm. two
0: questions. Economic recovery, question mark. What recovery, question mark? Well, there is no recovery. Of course, if you listen to CNBC and Bloomberg and all the rest of them, oh, they will tell you that, uh, you know, things are looking up, and we may have a little soft spot here and there, but uh, don't worry because uh, things are getting better. And, uh, I mean, just look at, look at the stock market. The stock market has done so well. Well, the stock market does not reflect the condition on Main Street. And the conditions on Main Street are extremely dire with so many people underwater in their homes, so many foreclosures going on. We see record numbers in so many of, of the negative statistics. And, and then we've we'll got this scenario that I, I included in my article. From, from recent peaks, Wages and salary Well, we've got credit contracting And you can explain that When you get into helicopter bin With all the money he's created Credit isn't expanding Credit is contracting But hold that thought a moment, Ellen And I'll just rattle off a few numbers People miss the program I, I, mean, I mean, this this really makes the case For just how dismal things are And, and I, I make the point strongly That they're not getting better They're getting worse And I don't know Wait another few months Wait another year And and when things really start collapsing again, and they will, then people will realize, once again, we've been conned. We have been conned long before this thing began, and uh, one one guest in particular, Ellen, on, on other programs has explained this because she was on the inside, and she saw the housing bubble developing in the 1990s. Oh, the mid-1990s, even earlier than the mid-1990s. This thing has been long in the making. It was planned. It was not accidental. And everything that's going on, the wreckage, was all planned, manipulated to to help the big boys and harm the rest of us. But right now, from peak numbers, Ellen, wages and salaries are down 3.7%. Corporate profits down 20%. Real GDP... Well, the reported numbers are at one point three. They keep revising them lower, and maybe the next reading will be zero and and we'll be heading for minus numbers before long. industrial production down seven point two percent retail sales down four point five percent manufacturing orders down twenty two point one manufacturing shipments down twelve point five exports down nine point two New home sales down (laughs) 68.9%. Existing home sales down 41.2%. And the housing problem has a long, long way to go before it gets created. Uh, We may may have a couple of years or longer before we even hit bottom and then begin to have a chance to come back. Uh, Housing starts down. 63.5%, 63.5%, non-residential construction down, 357 Healthy economy? What in hell are these people talking about? I mean, these, I call these people paid liars, Ellen. The people who go on the major news programs, whether it's CNN or CNBC, whatever, they are paid liars. They lie to you, and they simply don't tell the truth. You can you can expand on that, but then get into what helicopter Ben is doing to exacerbate the problem, not alleviate it, and then say what he should be
1: doing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think on uh, CNBC, for example, that's their business to make you think the stock market is doing oh, well. Oh, absolutely. They would, the idea is to get people to buy, buy, buy. Yeah. Um, so the big guys I mean, can tell like,
0: they trashed the to, to, to innocent, in, in, innocent lambs, picking it up, and, and and they can see it fall apart in their portfolios. <laughs> uh huh. Well, that's
1: what it that's what it is. A big casino.
0: A big casino. You go ahead.
1: Well, quantitative easing is um, where new money is added to the Federal Reserve. Just prints money, so everybody's all alarmed about this quantitative easing going on that the Fed has pumped out 1.2 trillion dollars just added it to M2 which is you know the second largest measure of the money supply or M1 I no I guess it's added to M1 well I think th- anyway is it M1 anyway
0: the 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 aggregate of all the aggregates
1: <laughs> yeah anyway they printed money for 1.2 trillion which which should have inflated the money supply and made prices go up and all that sort of thing um but in fact the money supply is shrinking and now um, ben Bernanke is saying that he's going to fight deflation with every tool in his arsenal, including quantitative easing. easing. And this time, what they're going to do—the last time what they did was they they printed money and bought up um, mostly uh, agency debt, which was federal. You know, it was like Fannie and Freddie, uh, so it was government government debt, but but in the housing market and now what they're going to do is buy up government debt directly which would be um um treasury treasury bills and um or no I guess long term government bond, federal government bonds so so this freaks a lot of people out they're saying oh we're going to go into hyperinflation because they're printing money like crazy well in fact this the money supply is shrinking And the helicopter bin term came from a speech that Ben Bernanke gave in 2002 in Japan when they had this huge deflation going on, which they still have going on, where he said that it was easy to cure a deflation, for a government to cure a deflation. He wasn't talking about the Federal Reserve. He said the government could easily cura deflation because it has a tool known as a printing press, so it can just print its way out. In other words, if the money supply is collapsing, you just add more money by printing it. But that's not what their current quantitative easing policy is. They're not. It's not the government printing money and dropping it from helicopters on Main Street, which would be more like Richard Cook's plan, you know, or the, the social credit people who say we should just put some money in everybody's pocket and that will solve the problem because then you'll have some, have more money to get the economy going again. But that's not what the Federal Reserve is doing. What they're doing is printing dollars, buying these bonds, various forms of debt that are already sitting on the bank's books. So basically they're swapping dollars for debt. So they haven't actually changed the, mo- the size of the money supply. The idea is that they're putting more liquid reserves on the bank's balance sheets, and that then the banks will lend ten times that amount, and that will get credit flowing again. But as both the Federal Reserve and the Bank for International Settlements have said in various papers, which I quoted, uh, adding more reserves, when they already have too many reserves, it doesn't do anything. It, they're not, they don't make more loans because they have more reserves. They make more loans because credit-worthy borrowers walk in the door and because they have the capital to do it. In fact, there was one BIS policy paper that said the real limit was not reserves, it was capital, um, which is that limit imposed by the Bank for International Settlements itself and which they're now raising. So they're making it even more difficult for banks to lend. Well, capital is not the money you get from the Federal Reserve in exchange for your bonds. It's real money. It's the money that you get from your shareholders' equity. You know, it's your, your the bank's own equity. And that's the, that's the real stumbling block. Plus, they don't have credit-worthy borrowers. They do, actually. I mean, everybody has heard of small businesses that used to be able to get credit, and now they can't. But the argument of the banks is, well, now the regulators are all over them and they have to be so careful about who they lend to and it's a safer bet for them to buy long-term government bonds with this almost free money they can get from each other at the fed funds rate of 0.2%, 0.2%. They can buy long-term government bonds then at 2 or 3% and that's just clear profit. They're not taking any risks. So why risk lending to homeowners that might default, or businesses that might not get off the ground. So anyway, it doesn't help to add reserves when they've already got enough reserves. So what they're doing is not changing the money supply at all. They're just swapping one form of liquidity, which would be government bonds, for another form of liquidity, which would be Federal Reserve notes, and then they're taking back the bonds. So in my article, I was trying to make two points, although... (laughs) I guess I I didn't nail it too well, but the two points I wanted to make was one that they're not putting the quantity that dropping money from helicopters would work if they actually dropped it from helicopters on Main Street on the businesses that need the money, and that's one way they could do this. In the Federal Reserve Act, they're not allowed to lend. There's no provision for lending directly to state governments. But there is a provision in emergencies for lending to corporations. So you could lend to a state-owned bank. So I think every state should have its own state-owned bank. And the Federal Reserve should be giving them the extra reserves to then leverage into loans directly into their local economies.
0: They sure should, Ellen. Let me let you hold that thought because we have a break coming up. And uh, I, I, I... The email I sent you, oh, 20 minutes or so before airtime, what helicopter Ben should be doing is putting his money where our mouths are, <laughs> not the mouths he's putting them in that don't need that money. That's not growing the economy. <laughs> our mouths grow the economy. That's such not... a great title.
1: Can I use that? Oh, absolutely. Are you gonna use that?
0: Oh, absolutely. Feel free to use it. I'll give you credit at the bottom. Let's let's take a brief break, and we'll come right back. Hold hold that thought and pick right up where we left off. You are listening to
2: PRN, Progressive Radio Network.
1: Hi, this is Karen Hartglass and I am a vegan. No, I am not an alien from Planet Vega. I simply choose to eat plant-based foods. Join me on Ask a Vegan every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be talking about everything from soup to nuts. Plant-based foods are the healthiest foods to eat, as well as being the most economical, the most compassionate, and the least destructive. If you want to know more about the healthy, planet-friendly, plant-based diet, call in with your questions or call in and share your favorite vegan recipes. Tune in on Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.progressiveradionetwork.com. This is an emergency. No, it isn't. It's an urgency. I'm Danny Schechter, your news dissector on ProgressiveRadioNetwork.com with a new show called News Dissector. It's built on the blog that I do every day from Mediachannel.org, dissecting news, analyzing what's happening in
0: the world, offering very cool music and great guests. Thursdays, 10 a.m. Eastern East Standard Time. Be there. for be square.
1: I'm Carol Brea, host of Community Currency on Progressive Radio Network, every Thursday, 5 to 6 p.m. Please join us as we connect people, ideas, important information, and discover solutions to some of the most urgent problems facing us. Every Thursday, 5 to 6 p.m., Community Currency on Progressive Radio Network.
0: This is PRN. Progressive Radio Network. on with Ellen Brown. Ellen, before I let you pick up, let me just mention a couple of things. Uh, I was so delighted to learn a couple of weeks ago that uh, Progressive Radio has gotten to be the most popular online alternative media source, news source, the kind of program that uh, PRN puts on. And uh, my program keeps gaining more listeners. They told me that... uh, that uh, it's it the program has gotten quite popular, and uh, I'm delighted about that. Uh, I, I would hope so because people PRN isn't the only alternative source around. Uh, there are others, and uh, uh, there there there's good online programming, good alternative programming. What strikes me so much is that most people turn to the major media to get their so-called news and information, but uh, the problem is they don't get any. They get uh, what Project Sensitive calls "managed news," propaganda, junk food news, another Project Sensitive phrase, junk food news. You know the Tiger Woods stories and stuff like that, celebrity stuff or sex scandals or whatever. But to get the real stuff, you'll you'll never get the real stuff on uh, CNN or Fox or CNBC. They are there to see that you don't know what's going on. So you don't realize that the roof is coming down on your head until it actually is there and you yell, ouch, because you lost your home, you lost your job, you lost your savings, and nobody has to explain to you how bad things are. Well, I I honest to goodness believe that we're in a depression and it will have a long, long way to, to run. It could be something in the order of what Japan has gone through. My God, Japan, this hit Japan. It struck me that the Nikkei stock average, uh, Japan's Dow, peaked on the very last trading day of 1989, and it was just a little bit below 39,000. I don't know what exactly it is now. It's probably around 10,000, and it got down to about seven uh, or maybe 18 months ago or so. Well, here it is, uh, 20 years later, and it still has lost uh, 75% of its value. Well, Ellen, you know that uh, back in 1929, uh, our stock market lost 89% of its value, and we had uh, a very dark decade, but we had policies that at least made made an effort to try to bring the economy back. Now we have policies that I honest to goodness believe are trying to do exactly the opposite to wreck the economy, to let the big boys pick up the pieces at bargain prices. So as you say, the big banks can uh, let whatever little ones they don't care about just die, and the hundreds of them will die and are dying, and the the pieces that they want they'll buy at fire sale sale prices. This was manipulated in East Asia in 1997-1998, the so-called Asian crisis with the Asian tigers. They were doing so well. That the market manipulators uh, really stemming out of Washington and Wall Street, uh, George Soros was intricately involved in this, what began as a as an attack on the Thai bot you 've written about this, Ellen, and uh, I remember when that struck and, and the market seemed rocked for a few days and I, I back then I could not understand why the hell does anybody care about what happens to the Thai bot? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, I guess nobody needed to care if the plan was just to let the bot have a problem and not uh, uh, affect uh, the like rest the of the Greek band, yeah uh, the plan was to take them all down, and they sure, as hell did yeah. and, uh, and, and and this opened up uh, a lucrative uh, vulture buying for for the big corporations so now, the same thing is going on here with what 's been going on since late two thousand and seven, and the policies again have just made it worse. Let me let you pick up and uh, again more on what Ben is doing or what we really should be doing. And and state banks, Ellen, really really is a big part of it. That that really isn't in this article, but you've written so much about that. State banks well, banks. Sorry? Go ahead
1: that way that was my conclusion that that's how you could fix it but if i redo this with your title i think i'll put that at the top <laughs> you can see that that's where i'm going but uh, a year ago california was we were uh the governor was paying with ious and he went to um both the tre- federal treasury and to the federal reserve to to try to get a loan and they both said no it wasn't in their the, you know not in their uh, mandate to to give loans directly to the states. But in the Federal Reserve Act, it says that in uh, exigent circumstances, I think it says, um, that the Federal Reserve can make loans to business, corporations and other entities. I mean, it doesn't list municipal or state governments, but it does say corporations. Well, obviously banks are corporations. So if the state had a bank, the Federal Reserve could lend to that bank, lend reserves in the same way that, they, in other words, they could monetize the bonds of the banks or turn the bonds into money, give the, the state banks money in exchange for their bonds, which is called quantitative easing. They just print the money and buy the bonds with it, just like right now what they're doing is printing money and buying treasury bonds with it, or before they were buying agency bonds, which would be Fannie and Freddie. So anyway, they could they could do it true state-owned banks. So that's why you need the state-owned banks there. Either that or change the Federal Reserve Act or make it a little broad, broad, broaden your definition of exigent circumstances. Um, So that's one thing. But the the other thing, the other point I was trying to make with that article was that in Japan, actually in Japan in 1989, what brought down the Japanese banks was the Basel One capital requirement, and that was done apparently intentionally to bring down those Japanese banks because they were the biggest creditors in the world. Japan was going like wildfire, and um, but they were making loans on less capital than the other banks were uh, were using. And so the Bank for International Settlements said that you had to have 8% capital instead of 6%. They only raised it by 2%, and this was enough to cripple the Japanese banks, and they never recovered from that. So now that's what they're doing now. They're going to raise the capital requirement yet again and cripple the, the American banks. I mean, I think that's the idea, is to bring down America to level us bring us to the level of other third world countries so that we'll all go begging for their global currency and their global regulations. And I, I suspect they actually think this is all a good thing and that they need to do this to for their grand scheme. Well, but anyway, I,
0: I have no doubt in the world that the plan is to make America a third world country. They, they want to make all developed countries third world countries. This is the Bilderberger idea. Uh, a classless society they they, they they want one world government they want a classless society with only two classes rulers and serfs you know the big guys like the Bernanke's and the Obamas and uh, all the, the top people in, in business and in government uh, they're the ones who get all the benefit from this and everybody else in every country Will uh, really have nothing much. Uh, uh, in, in my article, you saw in my in my article that you got. I, ha- I had a big section in it about how we began uh, as early as uh, uh, a little bit in the 1950s, but especially after the 1980s, we began exporting a good jobs. First manufacturing, and then all kinds of other things. And literally, the plan today is any job, any job we have in this country that can be done as easily someplace else cheaper is going to go there. So why, so why pay somebody X dollars here when you can pay maybe a quarter of X dollars in any any one of a number of countries someplace else? And we're talking about all kinds of good jobs. So all that'll be left here in America. And talked about, I talked about this yesterday on Ellen that. Uh, uh, most most working people in America down the road and, and and the end of that road may may not be too far away where really you have a choice either you take a low paying service job working for mcdonald's or walmart or some some place like that or you'll go into the military and get your head shot off, because we also have a permanent war agenda. So for sure, you'll, unless you want to fly planes or sail on ships, you're going to end up going to Afghanistan, and you'll get your brains blown out. And if they don't blow them out, they'll so warp them, you'll come back and you won't be the same person. That's the America we're heading from. Mm. And it's, it's so easy to be the other way, Ellen. Keep keep going on that. The solutions really aren't rocket science. Even a non-economist like me, and when it comes to things economic and finance, I I am absolutely no expert. And I swear to God, if they made me Secretary of Trade or or economic slash finance, Ellen, I could fix the economy.
1: (laughs) I know. So could I. That's the thing. You think about politicians and you think about your friends. I mean, I could find six people among people I know who could do a better job of running the country. And these are just, you know, out of work. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I, again, Appreciate I mean, it. it
0: literally is not rocket science. Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, there are some simple things, and, and you cover this in Web of Death. I mean, we've done this in the past in this country. When this country prospered year after year, inflation-free, we did some of the most productive, wonderful things that helped so many people. We could do that again. We know how, If we knew how to do it 200 years ago, well, my God, we know how to do it a lot better now. We also know how to do a lot better the wrong things.
1: Mm-hmm. You may not be an economist, but you are a brilliant writer and but thinker. You? Oh, <laughs> no. I, I, I'm an obsessed
0: one, Ellen. An well, I think one.
1: It, it's just like in medicine that if you if you're trained in economics, then you get brainwashed. You know, you have to spit back what the professor is teaching in order to get the grade. You can't really do a lot of creative thinking or you'll get shot down for it. So it's really people outside the system that can see it better than the people inside the system.
0: Oh, yeah. One more thing, Coming too. Coming out of press. It's fritz. what uh, Michael Hudson, and you, you know Michael. Uh, Michael Hudson refers to uh, junk economists, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, following the Chicago school, Milton Friedman kind of stuff. Uh, w- what has systematically wrecked this country e- e- ever since his poison took hold during the Reagan administration? Uh, I- 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 I'm sure if he's not in hell, there is no justice <laughs> and all the others like him. But, uh, but uh, 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 Michael Hudson refers to junk e- uh, economics as opposed to the Adam Smith kind. Uh, the Enlightenment or progressive economics, uh, liberal economics, the kind of stuff that worked a couple of hundred years ago was forgotten. All. They don't teach that in schools anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. So so here's the other, other point I was trying to make in my article was that Uh, Ever since 1989, when Japan was, the Japanese banks were brought down, well, for the last 20 years anyway, they've been trying to do quantitative easing in order to um, get out of this deflationary spiral. The banks can't seem to lend, so they can't seem to get credit flowing again, and that's why their money supply has shrunk. All of our money is debt, so you've got to get some debt out there or some credit out there in order to have money in the money supply. So... um, What they've done for the last 20 years is what we've done for the last two years, which is print money and buy government bonds with them. And that would supposedly uh, inflate the money supply, but it hasn't worked. So here's the thing. If that shows that you can print money till the cows come home and buy government debt with it, and you won't change the size of the money supply because the government debt – is money. It trades just like money. In fact, around the world, people, um, central banks are holding um, our debt, our um, treasury bill, you know, long term treasury bonds, just as if they were money. They're holding it as reserves, and, and they're going to use those if, you know, if somebody attacks their currency, then they can sell them and then they can. Uh, support the currency. So they're they're using them just like money. They can trade them just like money. Without, without even selling them, you can just trade these bonds just as if they're money, and they do trade just as if they're money. So the fact that you turn those bonds into dollars has no effect at all on the money that's competing for goods and services. In other words, it's not going to drive up prices. So we could indeed pay off the, um, the federal debt by just printing dollars, the government could do this: print dollars, take back the bonds, rip up the bonds, and now instead of having 12 trillion dollars in debt out there, you would have 12 trillion dollars in dollars. It wouldn't change the amount of money that's competing for goods and services, because all that money—I mean, like I have—I've had bonds that got called, and my broker would call up and say, "Well, they called that bond. What do you want to do with us with the money?" You know, the the only change is on your in your account it used to say x amount of dollars in bonds and now it says x amount of dollars in the money market or in dollars and then you say well buy some other bonds with it or whatever so, so you, it's not like you rush out and start shopping for food and oil and houses with the money you do whatever you were going to do with it anyway if you wanted to spend that money you would have been out spending it the reason you've got it in the bonds is you want to save it so it's not going to be in that form of saving, you'll put it in some other form of saving. Anyway, so so my point was that everybody freaks out about this $12 trillion debt that we have, but it, that tr- $12 trillion debt is our money supply. So just turn it into money and then we can acknowledge that we've got $12 trillion in credit out there. Dollars are credit and bonds are credit. They both represent a claim on a dollar's worth of goods and services in the economy, as Edison, Thomas Edison, said in the 1920s.
0: And what we really need to do, Ellen, is, is is get money in the hands of people who spend it and grow the economy. And really, one step before that, or one step along with that, is we need we need programs to create jobs. I have no doubt in the world, based on the evidence for the past year and a half, over a year and a half under Obama, and before that under Bush, that the plan has not been to create jobs, but to destroy jobs, and even the so-called Labor Department-issued numbers on job creation, they're phony, because they leave out a lot of people they don't count. And we've we've we actually have minus numbers in all the months Obama has been president. There are lots of people who never get counted. Uh, they include. I, I saw some shocking numbers. A study was done by, uh, I believe it was Northeastern University in Boston. They did a study, and I quoted it some time back. That uh, inner city youth unemployment in in cities all over the country exceed. In, I, I guess they're talking about teenagers who would like to get a job, so probably 15- uh, to 19-year-olds who want to get some kind of a job to, because they want some money or their families need some money. The unemployment rate among this uh, class or category exceeds 80%. Wow. 80 percent,
1: 80 percent. These kids aren't counted. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense that you've got people out there willing to work and you have work that needs to be done. All money is is an accounting tool for keeping track of the fact that these people did the work. So so you, the government, the issuing power, Congress has the power to coin money and regulate the value thereof, etc. Um, you, the government, can just employ these people to do things that are needed in the community, pay them these little receipts. That's all money is, acknowledging that they did it and that therefore they're entitled to that much claim on the goods and services of other people in the community.
0: And what Obama is doing is not this at all. Uh, Roosevelt did not change the banking system in the 1930s, but he did put an awful lot of people back to work. Real public works programs, not what Obama is proposing. He just proposed two programs last week, two brand new programs. They will do nothing to create jobs. His so-called infrastructure, $50 billion, uh, all he is doing is the only change is he wants to front load what would have happened automatically anyway, because every five years, the money he is talking about gets uh, appropriated by Congress for regular infrastructure spending that goes on year after year after year after year. He just wants 50000000000 billion front-loaded a little bit. And his other plan is to give business tax breaks. And I understand there are more coming probably in the lame duck session after the election. Well, business doesn't need more tax breaks. They're not going to hire people with, because they make greater profits. As you, Sue said, they are flush with cash. You can give them more. I mean, with all the money they flush with now, they're not creating jobs. If you give them more, they're not going to create jobs anyway.
1: And they so need customers.
0: You know. Oh yeah, they need customers. They need people to buy their products and services, and that's the problem. They don't have enough of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody wrote to me and said, "Well, doesn't it it, it? it makes no sense that the wealthy would not want to help the the workers because they need the workers to run." Run the system. I said, no. I don't think that's true. I think that today they actually think they can get by without out the lower class. That, That they they wouldn't actually mind if a few people starve because it would thin out the population, because they've got everything automated or they're shipping it abroad to cheaper workers.
0: That's exactly right, uh, and, uh, and uh, the, other in, the, the insider comes on my program once in a while, Catherine Austin FitzEllen, former Assistant Secretary of Housing uh, under Senior Bush. Uh, mm-hmm. She makes the comment that, that these people have given up on America. They literally have given up on America. They plan their futures abroad in, in, in other countries, their the business opportunities, and they're simply sucking all the wealth they can out of this country for as long as they can, and when they're done, they'll be an empty shell, and America will be Guatemala.
1: Mhm. Yeah. I believe that.
0: Here's another bulletin. Oh, let me read you this. I just got a bulletin from the Financial Times. Breaking news, Ellen. Basel three to lift bank capital ratio to seven <laughs> percent. Does this sound like an Armageddon plan? Is
1: that that must be uh tier one capital, which used to be four percent? Uh, because it, the, the capital requirement right now is eight percent, but that's tier one and two, tier two, four percent and four percent. I'm, I'm seeing if I
0: can bring up more. I don't subscribe. No, I can't. I, I don't subscribe to Financial Times,
1: so yes, all, all I get is the It's probably tier one because I think I had seen that too that they were talking about something like twelve percent total. Well,
0: yeah. this just came. I just got this just just this moment. Uh, I'll get. Well, we'll both get more information on this. Well, that.
1: you can get ready for the depression now.
0: Oh, I think you have another article to write.
1: <laughs> yeah. I know, I'm know. i dying to. There are three books I want to write, all three at once, but I just can't get to it because, like you said, there's always some keenly interesting thing that just pops up and I, I have to write about it.
0: I feel the same way. There are all kinds of topics I want to write Tires about. To and I, I only have two hands. I need, I need four <laughs> I hands know. and four eyes. And a <laughs> helper would be bringing. nice, too.
1: <laughs> I can only drink ten cups of coffee a day.
0: Oh. <laughs> 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 I get by on one. But we've, we've got a few minutes left. Finish up with more concrete things on what we could be doing to fix this economy.
1: Well, I'm just thinking through having the Federal Reserve uh, give money to state owned banks. Obviously, we don't have any state owned banks. So. That explains why they're not doing that. Um, so the first thing we have to do is set up these state-owned banks. But if we had a system of state-owned banks, there is the question: where are they going to get the reserves? Well, they can hit up the Federal Reserve, which has now opened up the, f- the spigots for um, for banks. You know, to put more reserves in the coffers of banks. So, so we know then that the state bank could have that part covered. So that's good. All right about that.
0: I'm trying to pull up the uh, financial – oh, I, I've got it. Let me see if I've got it. Here's, here's the Financial Times, the 7%. Uh, they reached the deal on Sunday to increase key capital ratios for world banks from 2% from two from percent to effectively 7%. percent yada da oh, 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 oh. Bank will have until the end of 2018 to fully implement the new rules. Well, that's
1: good. I wonder when they start implementing.
0: Uh, well, you know, all the details that, that we really don't know about this. Let's just see, let's see. The reform package known as Basel III increases the core Tier 1 capital ratio from a minimum of 2% to a new minimum of 4.5%, plus, for the first time, an additional buffer of 2.5%. And it goes on from there. But but I've got to read the rest of this, and I can't do it on air. But if they've got to 2018 to do this, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I I guess it's a moot point. Mm
1: -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, well, I wonder when there there must be some beginning of when they have to I don't know. Well, yeah, we'll have to read more about it. <laughs>
0: uh, this is a very brief article. It doesn't really say much. I, I mean, I have to wonder whether there's anything they have to do now, but but they, they only yeah. need to take a little bit of the medicine now, not all of it. Maybe maybe that's what they're saying. I don't know. But, I mean, well, the central bankers agree to this.
1: They're, they're regulating the wrong thing. That wasn't what went wrong. It wasn't the fact that banks couldn't meet the, their capital requirement. It was this whole shadow banking system that caused the collapse, and they have no capital requirement. And this new regulation is not going to affect them at all because they're not banks. They're special purpose vehicles, which are intentionally off-balance off, off balance sheet type vehicles. So I'll have, that's what I'll write about next.
0: So this is not going to be a it's productive so, step at all?
1: it's so odd that we can understand all this and we're just writers and the people that are supposedly experts don't seem to see it.
0: Well, you know, Ellen, I think they see it, but they know exactly what they're doing. They wanted to see people to think that they're really doing something positive when in fact they're doing something negative. And again, most important, they'll do nothing to help Main Street. In all the countries that uh, G20 uh, uh, represents, I mean that represents most of, of of the world that means anything in terms of money and capital and wealth and so on, and uh, they, 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 they've got they've got the machine in in reverse in, instead of forward. It's a lovely way to run things.
1: Well, it was Lehman Brothers that collapsed that caused the big collapse in 2008, and Lehman Brothers was an investment bank, so they. They were leveraged at thirty three to one, so they weren't if they had had eight percent capital, it would have all been fine so so what's the point of raising it from eight percent to twelve percent when the banks that failed were weren't complying with the, the rule at all and that you'll still have you'll still have the shadow banking system out there and it's still going uh full bore it's still got that huge derivative um Monster on its back. That how are you ever going to settle out those derivative derivative bets that are now at something like one and a half quadrillion? I think I read.
0: Never, never. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. I mean, uh, Bob Chapman, who again is the insider expert, he says all all the major all the 19 major banks are insolvent. You know, we can pretend otherwise, but they are insolvent. They're in big trouble, and sooner or later, God only knows what may happen. But uh, but uh, they they are wrecking everything in the meantime, and and I, I I guess I guess they can keep going a long while, Ellen, if all you do is declare your profits and you don't declare your losses, and you can just let this this toxic stuff sit in your books and nobody cares about it. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! There's so much more to talk about, and we never have enough time. I'm gonna, to, to send you two emails. One email with the Financial Times information, and a second email to get you scheduled next month so we can pick it up. I, I mean, this is, this is an ongoing thing. And you, you have a brand-new topic to write about, plus all the others swimming in your head.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it's always great to talk to you. Oh, Ellen, it's absolutely marvelous
0: having you on. I wish we had all afternoon. I, I, I hope my listeners feel the same way. You are absolutely extraordinary. Ellen Brown for Treasure. No, they'll corrupt you, <laughs> Ellen. You don't want any fun of those people. <laughs> Ellen, thanks a million. I will email you as soon as I get off here. And join us again next week, of course. Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, weekends at 1 p.m. Eastern. Always great programming like this. You'll get the truth on the most important issues. I guarantee it. Join us.